my friends. Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC Podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 48 of 2021, and we wish our U.S.-based listeners a very happy Thanksgiving. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have my co-host, Duke Silver. Hey, hey, if there's two things synonymous with Duke Silver, it's got to be the saxophone in smoking turkeys on Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. All right, thank you, Bill Clinton. And <laughs> our co-host, who has never played the saxophone, Glenn, is not available this week, so our thoughts are with him and his family. No guests this week, just Brian and myself. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For our opening topic, it's a running joke that Brian calls me the wealthiest cheapskate he knows, and I wanted to tell you a story from my college days which exemplifies this and proves it started when I was much younger. I'm tipping my hand a little bit at my age, but I went to college in the early 2000s, and even then I knew that college textbooks were a huge scam. They're much worse today, I hear, but back then the book publishers would come out with a a new edition of the book practically every year or every other year and just change some numbers around in the calculus book, making every previous edition of the book worthless. It would essentially kill the used book market. Side note. If college students today have a way to acquire the book digitally, maybe, say, using a peer-to-peer network, I'm not against that at all. Well, the quarter started, and I needed a book for calculus. Shout out to Professor Conti from our last episode. Our school library had the actual textbooks that you could check out and borrow for two weeks at a time, but then you had to return it. To help prevent abuse, they would not let you recheck that textbook out for a certain period of time to let someone else have a chance to get it. And if you, quote, lost the book, they would charge you the full value of the book to replace it. Well, younger Chris found a way to game the system. One night when I was studying with some friends, I pulled out the library edition of my my calculus book, and it was obvious I had the library edition because it had those library stickers all over it. And someone asked me, wait, how'd you get the library edition of the book? I told him that basically anyone can check out the library copy. They keep a copy of the textbook and show your student ID and you can keep, you can keep the, you can check out the book. They asked how long I could keep it for. And I said, well, officially I can keep it for two weeks, but I've, I've kept it all quarter long. So my friend looked puzzled and asked, aren't they going to charge you late fees on that? And without missing a beat, I replied, yeah, they'll charge me late fees. But you know, in a quarter, I'll rack up about $60 worth of late fee fines and the book costs $130 to buy. So I'm actually coming out ahead 70 bucks. So number one, I love it when you call yourself uh, or refer to yourself in the third person, you, you little freaking serial killer. But I'm, I'm with you. The uh, Yeah, if you can get a hold of textbooks uh, right now without having to you know pay an arm and a leg, go for it because I think it's a giant scam. And sometimes, you know, the the sixth edition of the book versus the seventh edition of the book really isn't any of that same, a different cover and and maybe the page numbers don't line up. So, uh, but you know, for the, the newer students, at least what I'm seeing with my kids is, uh, it's almost baked in. Like you even have a choice about buying the book. Like you have to buy the book, but on top of that, you don't even get a physical copy. It's just a, a digital copy. So then you're already out the whole, like you get to, you know, feel the weight and the texture of the book in your hand. You can't even write notes in there yourself. Um, 
Yeah, I guess maybe control F for a quick win if you're trying to find important information when it's online only. But, uh, you know, on the, the ch- uh, being a cheapskate, <clears throat> why don't you tell everyone about your, uh, your ketchup hack there, Chris? <laughs> That'll be another story for another day. Uh, one, one of the things that I've, I've heard nowadays, actually, for, for textbooks is uh, college professors, they'll, they'll publish a book and they will make you buy their book for the class, which now I think screams conflict of interest um, at uh, all left and right. I did have one professor that made us buy his book, but it was like a paperback book and it was like $10. I'm like, I, I can't be mad at that, but, but buying a official you know textbook for a hundred and something dollars and requiring all your students to do it, eh, that just screams conflict of interest. Yeah, I remember how, how bad my feelings were hurt when I bought like $300 in books, right? Then I went back to the bookstore to sell it back. They're like, we'll give you 15 bucks. I'm like, the heck is this, man? I can go is use this, this pawn, to start fire. Pawn stars? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Best I can do. Best I can do, $15. Like per book? No, like just total. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was like that meme a while back uh, when it was like a, a trunk full of, like a, literally a car trunk full of, of games, like PlayStation games, Xbox games. And there's there's a caption that says, I, I brought this I brought this up to GameStop, and they said they'd give me $10 if I throw in the car. <laughs> now they're laughing. Look at their stock. I think it's still yeah. high. I haven't looked yeah. in a while, though. Good for them. Yeah, exactly. All right, on to our first topic. We've all heard the phrase, you can't keep a good person down. Well, apparently this also applies to destructive botnets. The Emotet botnet has once again reared its ugly head and came back roaring with a vengeance just 10 months after a coordinated law enforcement takedown operation. Emotet was once characterized as being the most dangerous malware in the world. It started out as a banking trojan, a spam blaster, then later evolved into ransomware as a service. We spoke about Emotet way back on episode 2 and episode 5, and what had happened was law enforcement agencies around the world took over the entire command and control infrastructure of Emotet at the same time and knocked it offline. With no central authority sending instructions, millions of infected computers around the world lay dormant for once. Shortly after the botnet's takedown, law enforcement agencies conducted a mass uninstall operation using the command and control infrastructure, meaning the botnet would have to start from scratch if they ever wanted to operate again. Well, start from scratch they did, the Emotet crew have tapped into fellow botnet operator TrickBot and are using the TrickBot botnet to infect those computers with Emotet as well. Think of it as a down payment, because once Emotet gets big, a big enough footprint, they can start using those machines to blast out spam again and grow the botnet even more. Abuse.ch, a nonprofit online abuse watchdog group, said on their Twitter, we urge you to block these command and control servers and regularly update your block list to receive the maximum protection. So I don't care what you say. It's not Emotet, it's Emotet. And I'm sure the Emotet crew is like, it's not emo, man. It's emo, but I don't even care. Like, I'm calling you emo because I think of emotional, like just emotional hackers, right? They're just like sitting there talking about their feelings and crying. Uh, but you know what? Kudos to uh, law enforcement agents that worked around the world together to, to take it down. The first, At least the first iteration. Like, we have enough trouble trying to schedule the three of us to do a podcast, let alone getting a guest on there. So, you know, kudos to them to take down like, you know, millions of endpoints. But 
let's give credit where credit's due for uh for emotet uh, the emotet crew then take it laying down right you know if there's a will there's a way and you know using trick what's funny is i think they used to use emotet to install trickbot and now it's the complete opposite way around They're using trickbot to install emotet uh, I think it's genius. And, you know, in the name of security, right? It's always a game of cat or mouse or whack-a-mole. They're cashing in their chips. They said, I helped you back then. Now you help us out. But this is always going to be a problem. Even if it's not Emotet or TrickBot today, there's always going to be some type of massive botnet out there. And I guess that's that's part of the problem. You have to knock everybody out at once or things like this will happen that the TrickBot will loan its botnet out to Emotet and install it again and start blasting out spam again. So I think until organizations and even, you know, people's home personal computers, until they start blocking access to these command and control servers, like somewhere in the middle, like the DNS, if they're using DNS or the IP addresses, if you can block these IP addresses at the ISP level to not allow communication to these command and control servers, just sinkhole that traffic and see how much healthier the internet will get. Yeah, for real. Is I'm curious who is the the law enforcement agencies, right? Is it is it like the I mean, how bad does Emotet actually have to be if it was like to get the CIA involved or the FBI, right? And then to have them work with another foreign entity on taking this down and be like, hey, listen, we're gonna black hole this stuff. Do, you, do we have any idea who's actually involved with it? Was it twenty seven different nations or what? I don't think we know exactly who did it. We can have a pretty good guess at who it is. So it'd be the most likely the Five Eyes nations, the US, UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. The Dutch probably played a role in this. Dutch are very forward on the cybers. They're uh, they're pretty advanced in terms of their, their cyber capabilities. I think they're a sleeping giant. People underestimate them, but they actually have a lot of capabilities. Maybe French and German maybe even Ukrainian authorities because because a lot of these hackers they, they come from Russia and due to geopolitics the Ukrainians are more than happy to do anything that might potentially uh, inflict damage on Russia but some type of th- those would be my guess on on who the agencies were that took down Emotet originally it's Emotet Chris I'm not going to say it again it's Emotet <laughs> I wonder do, do you do you have any suspicions do you think that they're all just hanging out in Russia the, the entire crew themselves it's just like is it Russia is it China or is it just literally just everywhere just a bunch of goons out there doing going out there and having a good time They're primarily going to be in Russia I believe the Emotet crew I think they're Russian Russian based which is also part of the problem of why you can't take it take it down. I think they arrested some people in Ukraine and some of the other countries. So they do have presence outside of Russia, but you'll likely never get a Russian citizen arrested in the country of Russia for these types of cybercrime. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And same goes for China. If, if China has a botnet that they're running and they're working on behalf of the, the Chinese government, you're never going to get a Chinese national arrested by the Chinese government for, for cybercrime. Not not anytime soon, at least. Well, I guess I'm just happy that uh, I'm not part of the, the Emotech crew. <laughs> yeah, especially living here in the U.S., they'd be kicking down your door in no time. All right, for our next topic, this is a topic that you, Brian, wanted to talk about last week. We're going to switch gears and head into the metaverse. Brian, 
What's a meta? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I like that little transition. Nothing's a meta. Everything's great, Chris. Thanks for asking. Um, so, you know, really, what is it? And uh, it's Facebook, rather, you know, Meta's attempt to kind of shoehorn themselves, shoehorn themselves into, into the next big thing. And really what the next big thing is, quote unquote, you know, immersive virtual reality. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this. And Chris, interrupt me as I'm going through this. But like to me, it's like literally the the plot line of like Ready Player One without the reward at the end. And if you haven't read the book or seen the movie, you should, because I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that's where we, we kind of start. Um, I do think that Facebook's probably, or Meta, rather, they're going to start, you know, with VR goggles and gloves, and eventually they'll transition into like full body suits and rigs that will let you run, etc. Um, I don't think Apple is just going to play into this platform. I think they're going to try to do their own Apple universe. I don't know. I'm just, you know, speculating again on that. Do you have any thoughts? Do you think Apple will do their own thing, Chris? I think so. Apple has always, almost always taken other people. They, they're, they're very innovative, but they also take other people's ideas and make, make their own, like things like the self-driving car, or the Apple TV, things like that. I, I don't see them partnering with, with Facebook or Google, their rival or any other company on this. They would most likely want to go about it themselves or just bow out and say, I don't want any part of this. We're going to go create the next best thing. Do you think a, a third player will emerge? I think inevitably. I guess the good and the bad of, of big tech is there. It's it's a lot of competition, but there is also a lot of collusion as well. Like, like Google and Facebook, they're different. they do different things. But in the end, they're, they're ad companies. Amazon's an ad company. They're True. always just trying to one-up each other on who can collect more data on you and, and sell more personalized ads. If that's Zuck's end goal is to sell us more ads in this metaverse, then I'm sure Google will go in on it as well because they can't get left behind. It definitely can't. Yeah, I can see Google going for it. And to, to be explicitly clear, if, if I haven't made it, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this idea of the metaverse at all or any anything that that next generation part of part of it maybe even it's old but metaverse google verse apple verse whatever is coming out like i guarantee you it's going to know more about yourself than you actually know it's going to have so many different indicators of what you do and be able to predict the next thing that you're thinking and stuff like that i think it could literally be uh the end of the society as we know it right and moving on to like a full like virtual reality type of thing um you know, the, the only yeah, way that this works... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, and on that note, it's, we've already got a hint of what could possibly come. And I, I think it's a it's a dual-use technology that, it just like social media, there's there's the good side of it, there's the bad side of it. So when, when I was younger and I played video games, if I wanted to play with my friend, I would have to go to their house or they would have to come to my house. This concept of online gaming was just not existent. If I wanted to play a multiplayer game, we had to physically be in the same room. Now we have things like Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, Steam, uh, Epic Games, things like that, where if I want to play with my friends, I could play with literally anybody around the world. I never have to see them face to face. On the good side is I get to play and connect with friends that I would not physically be able to see in person and the pandemic showed how important that was of not being able to see people uh, on the other hand you have these kids that literally live next door to each other and they just choose to go on xbox live instead of going to each other's houses and 
having physical contact with each other. So I think that this also applies to the, to the metaverse. If I can see my coworker in a conference room through these goggles, or do I physically go in the conference room and see my coworkers? Time will tell who wins out on that, but it opens up possibilities while also closing, you know, exit what we actually do today. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see what this will look like in, tw- in, you know, in 20, 30 years. I think they will be successful, whoever they really is. Uh, but I also wonder, will people start to look like the humans on Wally? I don't know if you guys remember that. It's kind of like just sitting there in the recliner on their backs being spoon fed food and gravy and whatever. So, uh, you know, there's that. I, I think that the only way that this works and a little asterisk to this. I didn't actually watch the keynote, so I don't really know because it was an hour long. Uh, I just caught some highlights. But the only way that this would work, especially if you go back to Ready Player One, is that the hardware for the end user has to be free. And that means you're going to have to give out some Google, uh, some goggles, right? Some some uh, hand haptic, uh, you know, uh, uh, gloves haptic and whatnot. Feedback. Yeah. Yeah. Haptic feedback. Thank you. And if it's free... Right. It goes all the way back to what we said a long time ago. If you're not paying for it, then you are the product, which is uh, going to probably be the, the case here. I think that they're going to make it free and uh, just to get that into the end user's hands. And then you have to figure out how to get the developers to write code for it, because it's supposed to be, quote unquote, uh, you know, an open platform that they will get paid on. But I'm not too sure how they're going to dangle that carrot in front of the developers to get them to go into that platform. Uh, just like content creators on YouTube, right? You're getting pennies on the dollar for what they're reselling that ad space for. Yeah, and I remember in, in Ready Player One, when you go into this universe, it, if I remember correctly, like you are constantly being marketed to, I think at least that's what the, the evil CEO's plan was. He wants to put ads everywhere. He wants to get those impressions. He wants to have tons of like in-game microtransactions, and that's how they made billions of dollars in, in profits that way. I see something similar happening happening for Meta, getting the people in the game. Like you said, it might be free, but then if you want to customize your appearance or if you want to have a baller mansion house or if you want to do other things, there's ways to extract money from people inside this this Metaverse. Yeah, and that's the, the blockchain kind of comes in. It becomes key, right? Because then creating skins, accessories like clothing, guns, shoes, swords, cars, houses, bikes, right? That all becomes like very critical. Like that's how you kind of rate yourself in this in this world. Same thing with like Fortnite, right? Like if you don't want to spend, you know, $20 a month to get like the latest skin that's on there, you could in theory grind out missions, right? And get XP, then eventually you take that XP and it converts over to V-Bucks and then you can go out and buy something. So, um I would imagine that you'll see something like this in, in the the, the uh, in the metaverse, right? Um, but then I also think that you're gonna have some you know one of a kind items that are out there that only you know as you're saying like the elite will have. Hint, hint. Maybe some NFTs. Uh, I also think that this could be seen as kind of like the great equalizer, um, you know, because we're all online, we're all in the the metaverse. So long as it's merit based. Um, Maybe, but at the end of the day, it really kind of, it, it changes like our whole dynamic, right? Because you, if, if you're good at video games, maybe you'll be great in the metaverse, but if you're not right, then, uh, it doesn't matter how book smart you are. Maybe you won't excel in that world. And it makes me wonder, like if you're doing business, right? Like we, we move our business and we start doing metaverse type of meetings, like 
as opposed to like in-person meetings. Like one of my most compelling things uh, to me, right, when I come in and do a meeting, it's it's my presence, right? I'm a tall dude, uh, you know, I try to work out, uh, have some semi of a, a deep voice, right? And I command the, the presence of a room. But if I go into the metaverse, then everyone can just be me, right? Like how do you change yourself and how do you become unique? And does that even play a role, a uh, physical role, like physical appearance even play a role, you know, 20 years from now? Yeah, for the record, when I go into customer meetings, I'm going to make my avatar look just like Brian. That's the, I'll, <laughs> I'll say it now and you can hold me to it. Once we all get in the meta, I will be Brian in, in the metaverse. Well, um, I'm going to go with Chris Seabum. Then I don't know if you know who that is. I do not. Uh, he, he's a bodybuilder. His name's Chris Bumsfield and the dude is a giant. He's just insane. So you can look <laughs> like me. I'll look like him. We'll see who wins. Sounds good. Um, on the note where you said, could this be an equalizer where everyone has an equal chance? Uh, I, I think probably not. And I, I draw your attention to the scene from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory when the rich girl's dad hires like an army of people just buy these Wonka bars and open them until they find the golden ticket so his daughter can have this golden ticket. I think the elite out there will hire these farms of people to farm resources for them or farm XP for them, do whatever they need for them. And they still won't do any of the work. They'll have a team doing the work and then all the resources get passed up the chain. So I think that's most likely what's going to happen unless there's some type of mechanism to prevent some type of gaming mechanic abuse like that, which might be possible. And uh, personally, I think it would be interesting to put on these VR goggles, sit in a conference room with my coworkers. I'm, I'm hoping what one day will come is something along the lines of the movie Kingsman, when they put on the glasses and they look around, you know, they take off the glasses, it's an empty conference room, they put on the glasses, and then everybody is sitting in their chair in the conference room, something like uh, augmented reality, that you can see people physically sitting in the conference room when you have these these glasses on. So I think it's pretty cool. You know, I don't know how early I'm going to adopt to it, but it's it's definitely something different. So I got to give credit where credit's due for being different. There's actually a company, I think stateside, but they're they're developing some technology over in China, which is the augmented reality, but with the uh, with the contact lenses instead. So like if you were to, you know, try to measure something, shooting hoops or whatever and trying to figure out how hard, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, that is something that would just draw over the, the, the lens of your, of your, uh, uh, contact that way you'd be able to see it without anyone even noticing. So it's cool. But at the same time, like uh, to talk about a competitive edge, right? Imagine you like, let's say you're in the NBA and you're trying to steal the ball. If this contact lens can say, Hey, put your hand, like you visually see the hand coming down here in the next 1.1 seconds, you'll swipe the ball away. Like that would be insane. Yeah, you know what I thought we would have by now are car heads-up displays. And I, I remember playing a Gran Turismo. That's a, a PlayStation racing game. And it would actually, when you're when you're driving on this race course, it would draw the line on the road and say, this is the perfect line to take on the curve. This is when you start braking. This is when you can slam on the gas. And I thought they'd have something like that by now where it can, the car can see the road. It would tell you the line to take. It would tell you to slam on your brakes at this point if you don't want to crash into a wall. I just haven't seen that. So I think Cadillac has something very similar, not really to race, but uh, is augmented reality. 
on the heads up display. So it will say, Hey, like you're, you know, you're using it for navigation, your turn is coming up. And so it will show an arrow down the road, but as you approach the turn closer, the arrow gets bigger and bigger. That way, you know, when to actually go and it's like, it sits in between cars and things like that. Like it's pretty wild. All right, Elon, I'm waiting for you to put that into Tesla. Trust me. He's already working on it. <laughs> Did you know, by the way, they actually came out with a, a plaid version of the model X. Yes. Oh, yes. They, I, they announced it. Yeah. A while ago, I think it's yeah crazy zero to sixty speed and uh, pretty decent range, if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah, over three hundred. I had no idea. I thought it was just the S. I saw it last night. It kind of blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears. Let's talk about NFTs because uh, I, I've been I've been complaining about that for the last couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, what the heck is an NFT, right? And an NFT is a non fungible token, uh, you know, that is unique and non interchangeable unit of data stored on a digital letter, e.g. a blockchain. So number one, I had to Google what the hell is fungible even mean? So fungible means you can take something, replicate it, make copies. So non means you can't do that. Um, you know, at this point in time, when, when you hear about NFTs, it's been primarily around photos that I've seen, but I imagine you can use it for videos and audio. But, uh, you know, Chris, you had given me like a, like a real life, uh, example of an NFT for, you know, any novice to really understand. So rather than steal your thunder, why don't you give us your, your Mona Lisa example, please? Sure. And I take no credit for this one. I found a meme online trying to explain what NFTs are. Uh, so it goes something like this. Imagine if you went up to the Mona Lisa, this is a famous painting that's in the Louvre in France, painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And you were like, I'd like to own this. And someone nearby went Give me $65 million and I'll burn down an unspecified amount of the Amazon rainforest in order to give you this receipt of purchase. So you pay them anyway, you give them their $65 million bucks, and that person goes, here's your receipt. Thank you for your purchase. They then proceed to an unmarked supply closet in the back of the museum and posted a handmade label inside it behind some brooms that said, Mona Lisa is currently owned by Duke Silver. If anyone wants to know who owns it, they have to find this specific closet in this specific hallway and look behind the correct brooms. Confused, Duke Silver asks, well, can I take the Mona Lisa home now? And the shady vendor says, oh my, are you stupid? No, you only bought the receipt that says you own it. You don't actually buy the Mona Lisa itself. You can't take the Mona Lisa, you idiot. You can take this, though, and it gives you a replica print of the Mona Lisa in a cardboard tube that's sold in the gift shop. Also, the person selling you the receipt of purchase has at no point in time ever owned the Mona Lisa. Unfortunately, if this doesn't really make any sense to you or seem like any logical person would be happy about this exchange, then you've understood it perfectly. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you're just like kind of like clout chasing, right? Like I own this, like you can have a copy, but I own the real deal thing. So the thing that I think that's kind of cool about an NFT is that the, the original NFT in this case, like if it was like a meme of, uh, I, I have a, no idea, right? Some movie above the rim, I right? Think the, it has, I think the first clip, the NFT video clip was a clip of LeBron James dunking. Like there's an NBA clip. I think that was the first NFT created, if yeah. I recall correctly. Yeah. So so what's kind of neat about this, and this kind of goes back down to the receipt and the whole, th whole thing is like they, there's like some matrix style code associated with it that that's unique right this is how you technically own it um and that's how it kind of tie, ties into the blockchain right that's the evidence that's your receipt that you actually are the owner you can make copies you can make screenshots but it's not actually yours 
Um, you know, speaking of the Matrix, the new Matrix movies coming out, and they're actually going to release some NFTs for like 50 bones. And I'm not going to lie. I'm actually going to buy some. So number one, why? Like it has nothing to do with getting rich. It's actually the same reason why I collected basketball cards as a kid uh, or specifically as a teenager. Like I had my favorites like Jordan, Shaq, Kobe. Uh, I just wanted it because it's cool. And I would say out of all the NFTs that are out there that you can go buy right now, the reason why the, the Matrix one even remotely uh, you know, turns my head is like, like a huge fan of the first three ep- or three movies, right? But the fact that once you buy the NFT, I forget the like 30 days after that, you're going to be given the opportunity to take a red pill or a blue pill. It's a, it's a novelty, right? But to me, it's just kind of cool. So now <clears throat> let's let's switch gears, right? Like, so we I think we have a good understanding what NFTs, but this is a security podcast. So how does this relate to anything that we're actually talking about uh, in the security world? So let's pretend for a second that I am a bad guy. And I, I have released the Brian Deach, um, you know, ransomware out there. I've held companies hostage for, you know, millions of Bitcoin and I've been paid. And so now I have all this Bitcoin, but I'm tired of going through these shady exchanges and paying premiums to to wash the money and launder it. So this is where the NFT comes into place, right? I go out there, I, I just on my own as Brian Deach, the good guy, I go buy an NFT maybe one that's semi-popular. And then as the shady Brian Deach, I'm going to go out there and now I'm going to exchange some Bitcoin to actually have the the receipt that it says that I actually own, you know, this NFT that was Brian, you know, purchased by Brian Deach, the good guy. So it's just, a, it, to me, it seems like it's going to be the perfect avenue for nefarious type of uh, things to go on with, with, you know, eliminating traces of what's going on. Because really like, if you buy an NFT, like what's cool to me might not be cool to Chris. Like he, I don't think Chris will ever spend 50 bucks on a, uh, matrix NFT. Right. But maybe I can say that, you know, there's this guy out here that's willing to pay 5 million, right? Like there's, it's really subjective. What do you think about that, Chris? Yeah. It's not unlike how, uh, people launder money through art today. They buy an expensive piece of art through, through an auction house, and then they can then resell it at some future point and claim, yeah, I made a profit off, off selling this this art. So it, it's a similar thing that would happen in the the digital world. Now, bringing this story back to our, our previous story about the metaverse, my Mona Lisa example beautifully illustrates how NFTs operate in the real world, IRL. If I, set, if I own this NFT, anybody can take a picture of the Mona Lisa. Anybody can look up what this picture of the Mona Lisa looks like online. I can print out a picture of the Mona Lisa and hang it on my wall and I will I will have it even though somebody at some point owns the original as as the NFT. In the metaverse, you play by the metaverse's rules. So Zuck can create a rule in the metaverse saying Duke owns the NFT or the receipt for the Mona Lisa, therefore Duke can hang the Mona Lisa up in his virtual house. No one else in the metaverse can have the Mona Lisa. Now you obviously can't do that in the real world, but you can do that in the metaverse because of the rules that are there. And there are other companies right now that are are starting to branch out. They know that the metaverse is coming. They want to get ahead of it. So Nike actually filed a patent for digital sneakers that their Nike is going to come out with sneakers 
pretty similar to how sneakers are released today. They get they said we're gonna have this limited run of Jordans. It's gonna be 550 pairs. You know, people line up for days at at Nike Town to try and get their hands on a pair. Same thing in the metaverse. They can say we're releasing these limited edition Jordans. There's only gonna be 500 pairs, and in the metaverse, you can you can create the rules and say only 550 people at a time can ever wear these shoes. And if I want to transfer ownership, I want to sell Brian these shoes at a thousand percent markup. Well, I can transfer the NFT from myself to him and now he owns the NFT and now he can wear these expensive Jordan shoes. Sort of comes full circle. You know, they, they say what fiction is, is stranger than reality. And in the metaverse, only there can you write the rules that, that people would play by like this. You know, as a middle-aged man, this is stupid, right? Like, I don't like I don't think I'd ever buy into this. But if I look at my children that play Fortnite, they get skins that were released one time, right? And so to, to own a skin or something like that, right, that nobody else has in the world, like, they, they might have, like, the original skeleton skin that's, you know, black and white. The green one came out, but no one else, unless you were playing that game at that moment in time, actually has that skin, similar to the 550 pairs of Nikes. Like, and then all of a sudden those things become valuable because then what happens if you decide to sell your Fortnite account? Not that you should, or I don't even know if you're even allowed to, but people do it, right? Because there there are things there that you can't get your hands on unless you pay top dollar for it. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it brings up an entire digital economy. And the problem with, with digital economies, like even games like, for example, World of Warcraft, there are very rare items in the game but let's say a, a rare item has a one percent drop rate that means every time you kill this boss one percent of the time you're going to get this item so it's it's still scarce but the number of items is not fixed but they can't say there will only ever be a hundred of these items ever in the game but that's what you can do in the, the metaverse and the nfts is going to be a way to show ownership of it that says only one person can have this picture of an ape drawing only one you know, only 500 people can have this specific pair of Air Jordan shoes. So it's creating an entire digital economy. How that interacts with the real world economy, that's going to be interesting for sure. And I think this will only be successful if Zuck is successful in getting us all into the metaverse. Yeah, agreed. Can you imagine trying to put on three different headsets for the Facebook one versus Google versus Apple? Like eventually someone's gonna be like we need cross-platform play here boys like this is getting to be silly <laughs> i don't know I, I i do think that we will start to see uh some nfts being used for some nefarious activities if it hasn't already happened do you think so chris i think so it, it's going to be a dual use technology and anytime there's something good and some kind of benefit like like bitcoin i like bitcoin as an idea decentralized currency uh, it's going to be used for nefarious purposes the ransomware crews prefer it now because it is relatively untraceable it's it's easy to move and it's very low risk for them to to receive the bitcoin as long as you can find a shady exchange to cash you out or just buy whatever you need with with bitcoin um, it has has its its negative sides has its consequences but it also has very positive side as well like you look at countries like el salvador where either their their currency uh, fluctuates a lot or uh, you have to pay these very high foreign transfer fees and that that's the perfect solution is this this type of digital currency can you imagine like right now there's a lawmaker out there who's like oh my god we got to figure out how to tax this can you imagine getting up in front of congress and trying to tell these old farts like what an nft is <laughs> <laughs> like i don't i think their old heads would explode if there's a good reason to refresh the cabinet there then uh let's go well 
once they hear tax and like we can tax this, then you'll get their attention. All right, for our last topic, and this will be a rotating topic every week, this week we're combining Brian's idea from last week and the upcoming holiday here in the U.S. What are you thankful for and what motivates you? So I'm thankful for the typical things that you would expect someone to say. I'm thankful for family and friends and my good health, relatively good health. Um, also our founder, CEO and chairman, Jay Chaudhary. When you ask people to separate their life into before some event and after an event, like before and after getting married or before and after having kids. I mean, I, I could separate my life into before joining Zscaler and after joining Zscaler. I could do and it with uh, Honey Boo Boo. Before and after Honey Boo Boo. <laughs> just kidding. Go on. Life changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not just thankful to Jay, but everyone here who has helped me to get to where I am today. It would definitely not be an exaggeration to say that my time here has been life changing. Right on. Yeah, that definitely shout outs to, to Jay. Like when you when you look underneath the covers of the technology at Zscaler, it's, it's incredible. So, uh, you know, you know, th- you know, I'm thankful for all kinds of things, uh, just like you. Right. You know, my health, family, friends. Uh, I am particularly thankful for my wife's yoga pants. If you know, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and then on to the topic of really like what motivates me and my motivation in life really is kind of three-tiered. It's my my wife, my kids, and my job. But if you look at it a little bit closer, they all kind of blend together, right? Like when it comes to my wife, I just want to be like the just the absolute best husband. Like I want to be a man of my word. I want to deliver on all promises I make and do that every single time. You know, I, I, I want to be an example like to my daughters. I want them to see how their husband, once they're married, uh, you know, treats them. I want my son to see how I should, uh, or like, how he should actually treat his wife. Uh, it's like, it's something that's always in the back of my mind that's going on. And by the way, n- never mind, I won't say anything about that, but she is absolutely my number one priority in life. And I feel like every decision uh, that I make, I always take her into consideration. Now, the kids, it really is, uh, it's simple. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know that we're, we're actually a blended family. And I, I'm lucky enough to have two daughters that call me dad, even though I'm technically their stepdad. Um, I can't like this. Every part of the inside of me just cannot let my kids down. And I, but I also, you know, under promise and over deliver on a lot of things, right? I don't want to sell them a bill of goods or set their expectations too high and let them down. Sometimes I do, right? I might let them down, but I, I always try to own it. But I think the biggest part uh, is to be there. Right. I think being present is a, a lot easier said than done sometimes. So kind of take that into consideration. And for both my my wife and kids, my you know, my overall health kind of plays into it. From my wife's perspective, like I don't want to leave her widowed because I wanted to have a diet of barbecue and, and soda. And, and I'll be honest with you, I will be damned if another man walks my daughters down the aisle, right? Like that's when they get married. That's just that's just not gonna happen. I will find a way to live until those days if that's if that's the last thing I do. You know, and I, I want to be there for my son 20 years from now when he wants to renovate the garage or the kitchen, uh, kitchen right? It's it's something I always tell him like, like eat right, run and lift some heavy crap. And then as for work, it's uh the motivation there is like I, I kind of have like this killer mentality. Uh I I feel like I need to be the best at whatever I do. I'm, I'm constantly thinking of ways of how I can evolve. You know, my, the goalpost is always moving. 
I'm trying to figure out how to differentiate myself from my peers. And when I'm going up against the competition, I, I, it sounds savage, but I want to send them home. I want to make them cry. I want them to rethink their life. I want them to quit their jobs. Like I just like I, I want no part of them. I want I want, I'm here to end careers, and and look good Take doing no it. prisoners. Take no prisoners. So, what motivates you, Chris? Yeah, I don't really know how I can follow up with that. But I, I <laughs> you <think> can. <laughs> what motivates me is is I I constantly like to be challenged. I don't like to be static. I don't like to be nascent. I don't like to be complacent. And I think that extends into all the areas that that you mentioned that I want to be better husband every day. I want to be a better father to my kids every day. And I want to be a better employee for my, my company every day. And I just try to find ways and things to do in order to continually challenge myself and get out of bed every morning and see what I can do better today that I didn't do so well yesterday. And just learn from your mistakes that you know, life is difficult. You're going to be thrown a lot of curveballs. I want to be able to confront that head on. I want to leave that legacy for my kids as well and teach them that, you know, there's, there's no such thing as, as failure. There are learning experiences, but there's just no such thing as failure. And that's something that I really want to instill in them and, and just to ensure that I, I try to do my best to raise them right. And at some point, I'm going to have to release them out in the world knowing that I did my best and just, just hope they make the, the best decisions out there. And that, that's really what motivates me that at some point, you know, I will have to let go and that they will be able to lead, uh, lead productive lives out there. It's interesting that you say that to learn from your mistakes, because one of the, the pitfalls that you have, like when you start to reach that pinnacle in life of being, you know, really good at what you do is that you become highly unapproachable, right? Whether it is just a, a physical stature or you're just the smartest guy in the room type of thing, like I would be I'd be hesitant to come pick up the phone and be like, hey, Chris, in that call that we just had, you sucked, right? And so you have to kind of change your mentality. You have to reach out to your peers and be like, hey, listen, like the only way I will ever get better is if you tell me what I'm doing wrong. And like it's a safe place, right? I'm not going to jump down your throat. If you think I could do something better, uh, please let me know about it and and Jesus, you know, in the last 18 months, there's been some weird conversations where I'm just like, it was eye-opening, right? I'm like, okay, you're right. I, I need to kind of hone the skills right here. I shouldn't have said that over there um, and, and, and be moldable. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely know. It's not accepting who you are and thinking that you're the best version of yourself, but just knowing that you that's something that you want to strive to. Yeah, you'll probably never be the best version of yourself, but it, it's it's an idea. It's a concept that you want to strive towards. Absolutely. And, and for those of you guys listening, Chris is a very, very smart guy. So if I'm ever going to approach him and tell him he's wrong, uh, rest assured, I'm checking every internal resource as well as Google to make sure I'm not going to hit him up with a lie. <laughs> well, although I have been wrong in the, in the past, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to think that I'm always right. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, Brian's up. All right. I'm going to thank Glenn for this. Uh, even though he's not here, he uh, he submitted it for us, and I think it's uh, holiday appropriate. So what did the turkey say to the computer? Google, Google, Google. <laughs> Very appropriate for the, uh, for the holiday we're about to have. <laughs> All right, to wrap things up, 
college textbooks are a huge scam. The Emotet botnet is roaring back, so update your block lists. We may never have to see each other again in person if Mark Zuckerberg gets his way. First we had magic internet money with Bitcoin. Now we have magic internet art with NFTs. And we have a lot to be thankful for. So take time this week to reflect on what you are thankful for. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram at Pepcag Podcast. You can help us grow the podcast by telling somebody else about it. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us five stars in the iTunes store and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help to grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the Pepcag Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host, Brian Deach, I'm Chris Lewy. Thanks for listening. Have a great Thanksgiving. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. Later, boys. Thank you all for listening. Oh, yeah. I'm thankful for our listeners. Jeez. How rude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thankful to you, the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Almost there. <laughs>